0: You are listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White. And today I have a special guest, Nadia McLeod from RP Emery Legal Kits. Nadia, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, pleasure, Melanie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about legal information for health and wellness coaches because it's such a confusing thing for most of us. But before we dive into some questions, could you give us a little bit of background on what your company does? Okay.
1: So our company, RPM Legal Kits, we help small and medium-sized business owners to reduce their legal costs through our online legal kits. So there are a whole wide range of um, kits from employment to general business. We also do family law stuff. Uh, we do a lot of commercial leasing and retail leasing, which is, you know, very very pertinent at the moment
0: mm.
1: oh, with um, current circumstances. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's obviously a wide range of things that you do, but all centred on making legal agreements more affordable by the sound of things.
1: Yeah, so it's... Um, I guess it's a little-known secret that, you know, or rather a lot of people might think that lawyers sit down to, to draft an agreement from scratch, but really templates... Lawyers have been using templates forever because why why reinvent the wheel? You know, Mm. everybody needs needs a basic framework to start with. So it's a really good way to save a lot of time and save a lot of cost. And with the advent of the internet and just the the, the ability to share information so much more easily, you know, the, the end user or the general public now has access to this kind of information and this kind of ip Mm. Um, so it really does make their life a lot easier that
0: sounds great we could all use life being made a (laughs) a bit easier and i think especially for those of us who are really focused on doing our jobs we may not know or understand much about what goes on in the legal sense and so it feels like something that's confusing and difficult. So to have something ready made and to know that templates are totally totally acceptable and realistic and what lawyers are using anyway is something of a comfort, I'd have to say.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I mean obviously there's yeah, there's always a fine line. There's definitely some things where you might need a whole bunch of expertise from a lawyer because it's, it's more complicated or, um, you know, just depending upon the realms of what you're dealing with and the issues that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But, you know, not everything is complicated. There's a lot of, there's a lot of business issues that are quite straightforward and you know, they're a pro forma, you know, you have to have agreements that are either written in a particular way, what they might call a prescribed form. Mm -hmm. And, you know as long as you have that data in the right place or that you know that prescribed form and you know you take the time to read what it is that you're doing and you do have that that little bit of background and knowledge then no there is absolutely no reason why why you can't take advantage of it mm-hmm. and be able to use it without feeling
0: overwhelmed or or that you can't do it mm-hmm. It totally makes sense, because <laughs> so I'm very glad you're here today. And I wanted to ask you just a few questions about legal agreements, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. What do you think it is that stops people from getting proper legal agreements? I mean, I see a lot of people drafting their own or saying, well, I can just knock this up in a page. It needs to be simple. But what do you think gets in the way of people using a proper legal document? I think probably the biggest hurdle
1: is they think it's going to be really expensive, and and if you're just starting out or you know, or you're keeping an eye on your budget, you might think, well, you know, I really don't want to spend thousands of dollars employing a lawyer. I don't want to open that can of worms, Mm. Um, and then you might be tempted to, you know, do as you say, just draft draft up what you, you know, what you think might be, you know, a reasonable agreement. I think another reason is people don't always understand the risks of what they're doing. Um, So, you know, they might not actually realize all the ramifications of, well, if I, if I just do it this way, that it's going to be okay. But because they don't have that other knowledge or they're not sure of exactly, you know, the permutations of what might happen down, down the track, they're not thinking ahead. And I mean, as much as, you know, any, any lawyer who's had legal training, I mean, they're totally trained to, to look out for dangers and risks and, you know, what mm. are, you know, the ramifications down the track. So mm. I think it's good to have, you know, to give thought and to... Because you don't want to miss
0: anything, really. You don't want to miss anything,
1: yeah. Mm. And, I mean, it's it's one, you know, you don't want to be totally stuck on the risks and never get anything done. Mm. But by the same token, there has to be a happy medium.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing is getting the wording right. I mean, I know that um, in the beginning, I wrote some of my own legal documents, not really thinking much about it, but then I realised that what I had written could be misinterpreted or misconstrued or twisted. And if you are in a court of law and you've written something that sounds good at the time, and then you realise it's full of holes or that somebody could make it mean something else, then suddenly you find yourself in a yucky position
1: <laughs> yeah because language can be interpreted in any in any particular way, so it's always really important that any any mm. contract you use is written in plain English and it actually says what you mean mm. so you know there does need to be thought and care that goes into that as so it's it's not misconstrued
0: mm-hmm. and so what do you think are the risks? of not having a legal agreement i guess it kind of sounds natural from what we've said but could you summarize the risks of not having a legal a proper legal agreement in place
1: well one of the greatest risks i think is that humans are dealing with humans and (laughs) (laughs) you know and Humans have very selective attention, or not selective attention, selective memory, Mm. and our memories are not always very reliable, and if you're relying upon a verbal agreement, Mm. you know, it's really hard to pin down, well, I said this and you said that, and this is what I thought you said when you said that, but you might Mm. not necessarily, that might not have been what you meant. Mm. So I think that's one of the, the big risks is, A, you know, memory memory is malleable. And I think that when you're also dealing with simply a verbal contract, mm. that's you know, it, it just is ripe right for misunderstanding. And it's also to it's also important to understand that even if you don't have a written agreement, a verbal agreement is still a contract. So when you take that into account and if something goes wrong, then further down the track, it's really hard to prove what the terms of an agreement are Mm -hmm. therefore you know even though it might seem like a hassle to begin with if you actually take the time to write stuff down Mm -hmm. then a you're going to avoid the the misunderstandings Mm -hmm. excuse me and the confusion Mm -hmm. around well hang on i think you mean this but oh do you really mean that Mm -hmm. oh okay so how am i going to react to that and then it means that if down the track something an issue does crop up both parties have a concrete framework to refer back to to go well hang on a minute this is what we agreed to Mm. and that means that it's much less likely that any misunderstanding is going to escalate into conflict
0: Uh, and i just to add to that i could say that I, i looked at a legal agreement recently that somebody else brought to me and said, hey, I want to do this thing in this partnership and um, I'm not sure what to do. Can you look at the legal agreement and tell me what's possible or why, where it says, where, where it talks about this particular thing? And I looked at the agreement and I realised that it was incredibly vague mm. and that it didn't address a whole section of things about who owned a client list and what the rights of promotion were and who paid for certain things around marketing. And then it became really evident to me that this generic agreement had been used but it hadn't been one that had been drafted by a lawyer because that would have considered all of those clauses about data ownership and a partnership and those sorts of things Mm -hmm. and who has the rights to use what information. And so they were arguing about who was going to pay for what and it (laughs) it was messy and I just thought, well, you can't, go back and rewrite that agreement now you have to somehow forge on with what you've got and it was a yucky situation and I thought gee I'm glad I'm not in that position yeah (laughs) yeah
1: that is so true because that's that's part of what a good agreement will force you to do too is to to consider issues that oh sorry excuse me um that you might not have thought of. I I remember some time ago, before we started this business, we we were doing a JV with with another party. Mm -hmm. And at the time, we had to consider what would happen with termination clauses. And, you know, we're just starting off on a new project and going, well, I don't want to think about how we're going to terminate this. It seemed like an awful, um, it seemed like such a negative thing to do. Mm -hmm. But, you know a year down the track when when we decided that we no longer wanted to you know move forward with the JV because things weren't working out i was so incredibly grateful that we had a clear cut termination exit clauses mm. because it was like okay this is what we do and then we do this and then we do that and like you like you said in your example it just saves all this confusion and constant negotiating and and that kind of confusion and and trying to work stuff out in situ only serves to erode the trust between the parties Mm. because all of a sudden you know you're going to be going well what if and can i trust this person and this isn't going well
0: and it becomes sticky yeah and actually nadia that made me think of another example i've heard of and and certainly you talked about feeling uncomfortable thinking of termination and i think a lot of people feel that way up front they go oh if i bring a contract out it's going to seem pushy or it's going to be uncomfortable or maybe I'm being too aggressive. But I think it's just about laying down expectations. And then you actually have to follow through because I know of a company who wanted to terminate an employee and I said to them, I know that you you know this employee well and you have a relationship with them, but you need to follow the due process as per your policy and your legal agreement. But they didn't do that. They didn't want to create an uncomfortable situation and the employee ended up up suing them. Mm. So that was a really tricky situation and they had a really great agreement and they had a policy in place that described how they would um, terminate employees and they just didn't follow it. And uh, So it's one thing to have the agreement and then the other part of that is following through. But knowing that it's about... Doing the right thing by people, I think, and being very yeah. clear on the expectations at front. Well,
1: and especially in, in the realms of employment, you know, the legislation is very, very clear. And and you know, the fair work ombudsman and so forth, like that those rules are there for a reason and people can come quite unstuck and have, you know,
0: consequences that they don't intend. Mm. Yeah. And so coming back to legal agreements. And what's involved with those? What What do you think are the signs of a good legal agreement? Well, I think it goes back to,
1: um, you know, what you mentioned is that the it says it says what it's what it's for. That that clear and concise, simple language. Mm-hmm. I mean, the days of legalese are, are mostly over. Like you know most Ew. agreements <laughs> yeah yeah well there's still some old school documents out there but you know the, the trend is more to pl- what they call plain English documents so mm-hmm. it just says what you mean and it doesn't have all the you know here to's and wherefores and
0: mm-hmm.
1: all that kind of thing because of course that's just a remnant from you know when lawyers used to be paid by the By the word, understandably, (laughs) you know, they made their agreements very long-winded, as you would if you're being Mm -hmm. paid by the word. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it does need to meet the needs of both parties. It Mm -hmm. needs to be fit for purpose. So, for instance, you know, we're, we're here in Australia, so if you're dealing with Australian legislation and, you know, for example, a commercial lease or a retail lease, then your agreement or your lease agreement needs to needs to comply with Australian legislation mm. um, you know, there's no point buying a document from overseas or from some other place because it's not going to comply with Australian legislation and therefore it's not going to serve you mm. um, and yeah and, I, and of course it, you need to be able to read it you need to understand it um, and you need to be you know you need to be sure that it's doing what it needs to do for you
0: mm. I think that last point is important. I mean, there are a lot of places that um, offer legal agreements overseas and people I know copy and paste things from other people's websites and documents, but as you're saying, it might look good on the surface, but it doesn't mean a thing in Australian law necessarily.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing is, is if you do purchase, um, let's say you did purchase a template from overseas, you have no rights under consumer law. So you know you're not going to be you're not going to have any recourse. So mm. you know it might seem like a, a quick fix and a, oh you know this is going to get me out of trouble. Mm. But you know if if whatever you're using the document for is important and if it, and if it is for your for a business purpose or really any purpose, then you're doing it to reduce your risk. So you don't want to then increase your risk
0: by getting the document wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. <laughs> Why would we do anything the hard way when there's an easy, direct way to do things? Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, Nadia, I know that um, you've pulled together a checklist of documents for health and wellness coaches and so it would be great to talk through those. Um, and thanks for doing that. It's really handy. I'm going to include that, a link to that document in the show notes of people listening to this podcast in australia australian coaches Um, i guess for health and wellness coaches we're using legal agreements with our clients around confidentiality and payment we might be leasing a premises we might be joint venturing with someone or partnering with someone there are different sorts of ways that we work with people so could you talk us through the bare minimum legal documents that a health and wellness coach might need in your opinion
1: yeah, so I think those um, those non-disclosure agreements or confidentiality agreements are really important. So, you know, let's say you are... Well, actually, let me back up a minute. I, th- I think that the primary agreement that, um, you know, any health and wellness coach should have is their service agreement. Mm-hmm. So what exactly, you know, are they... What sort of service are they providing? What does that entail? You know, what is the term of the service? You know, how will payment be made? You know, you want to be really clear about these things. Your client needs to be really clear so that, so, you know, you don't have misunderstandings about, well, I thought you were going to do this and I thought it was going to go for this long and I'll hang on a minute. Well, Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to cost this much. I just think having those boundaries in place to begin with just gives you a really nice platform to go forward with clarity. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you don't have to worry, you're both on the same page. Um, you know, as, as I started to mention about confidentiality, confidentiality agreements, if you're working with other people, then you're going to have, intellectual property or trade secrets in whatever form they might be Mm. um, that you want protected you know you don't want to disclose that information that secret information to other people Mm. and then find that they're breaching breaching your confidentiality and sharing that that proprietary information Mm.
0: um
1: and another good one is let's say you're sharing an office space when I say office space, it can be any kind of space, you know, maybe you're renting a, um, a massage room or a consultation room of some description. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the terms of that agreement? How often do you use the room? You know, what about cleanliness and hygiene and mm-hmm. how much is it going to cost you to rent that room or license that room? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a nice one for keeping things really clear Mm -hmm. Um, referral agreements are another really interesting type of agreement Um, let's say you have an arrangement with another another therapist or another coach that you're going to share a client or you want to refer a client you want to make sure that anyone you refer to somebody else is being treated well so you because that impacts on your own reputation
0: Mm. so
1: you might have guidelines around well you know how the other person is going to provide that service Mm. or vice versa maybe they're referring to you and you want to make sure that the terms of you know how you're treating them are well or what is the the split going to be if there's payment involved Mm. so that's important and I mean, you touched on employment agreements before. Mm. Yeah, they are a, they are a regulated part of business, and it, and it is really important to get employment agreements correct, whether it's casual or full time or part time, or whether you're using a contractor. Mm. Now, it's it's vitally important that that any employer understands the difference between a contractor and an employee Mm. because the fair work, um, you know, the fair work body frowns very seriously upon what they call sham contracting. Mm. you know, sometimes someone might want to say, well, this person's really a contractor because they don't want to pay for some of the things that they have to
0: pay for like super or workers comp or whatever, but it's, So you're, you're talking about a situation perhaps where, let's say, a coach uh, is very busy and they're running a program every school term and they realise that they can't do it all on their own and they need to subcontract yes. somebody to come in and help them every term. But that's not a one-off project or a limited time project. That's a regular arrangement yeah. with regular hours. Yeah, and it's...
1: it's the. A contractor can work regular hours, but it's um, and they have very clear guidelines. Like the the FWO or the Fair Work Ombudsman provides very clear clear guidelines, and, and mm. we've written blog articles about this. But it, it's more is that person self directed or not is one of the um, criteria. So, for mm. instance, our bookkeeper's here today, and she's a contractor, but she does her own thing. She comes in, she you know we we don't really direct her work therefore you know in that case she's definitely a contractor she still works regular hours but she's a contractor because she you know she is self directed whereas if she was coming in and I was constantly having to say well you've got to do this and you've got to do that and now we're going to do this it's a, it's a different kettle of fish i mean that's a very sort of broad overview and there are more there's more nuances to just that difference But, um, you know, you can't, you know, that's something that needs to be considered if you're thinking of employing somebody is exactly what are the terms.
0: Yeah, and that's a very good example, I think. It is broad, but what it clearly states is that that person's coming in with their own expertise and knowledge. Yes. And they're directing the way the task is completed. Yes. They're not walking into your business and you're saying, you need to do my program in this way, following these steps and this procedure. And, and giving them almost a mandated job role.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. So probably the only other um, oh well, of course it's how long you know, depending on how how fast your business grows or what your what the you know, how big the coaching mm. enterprise becomes. Um, your coaches might want to consider joint ventures and partnerships, and then that's you know that's another another realm where it's important to set down the terms, you know, I mean, I mentioned our JV project, you know, 20 years ago where, you know, we were partnering up with someone to deliver a service or, or a product. Yeah. You know, how, how does that work? How do people get paid? You know, how do we deal with confidentiality? There's just so many things. And if you're joining forces with someone, in order to, you know, create a business or some aspect of your business, you want to be really sure that that's going to work well mm. because otherwise it can cause all sorts of havoc in your, in your business life if that goes pear-shaped.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's like any sort of relationship, I suppose. You want to make sure that you have aligned values and the same goals and that you're servicing the same client base and that yeah. you you both work well with that same sort of client. It's, there's lots of things to consider, and even how you do the day-to-day running of the business, if it comes down to that, if you have different ideas on that, you need to be able to negotiate well. And if either yeah. party isn't good at any of those things, then it's going to make for some challenges. So I totally yeah. agree. And I think the thing with joint venturing is, especially when... The global markets are contracting and people are spending less. It's harder for sole traders and they tend to want to partner with people. And it, And it is a viable strategy to partner with someone to make turn a couple of sole trader businesses into something that looks bigger and offers a, a breadth of service or an all-in-one kind of service. Uh, it can help you to save money on marketing and to have mm-hmm. a more effective marketing presence. But then you do need to have really clear boundaries and guidelines for how that partnerships or joint venture is going to work, as you say, and that agreement is pretty critical, especially, I think, if one business is struggling financially or maybe this applies to any agreement, Nadia, where if one of the parties is struggling financially, they're more likely to want to sue or... (laughs) that,
1: That is a valid and scary thought, yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, I think the process in the case of a a partnership or a JV, I think even just the process of going through setting up the agreement is a really nice test for how you're actually going to negotiate differences or um, Mm. just, you know, to work out, as you say, what are people's values? I mean you know it's easy to get caught up in enthusiasm and oh yeah we're going to do this and it's going to be great mm. but I think it's nice when it comes down to the tin tax. well really I think some of the um I think you get a good look at a person's character in some of those cases so it, mm. it can be a nice little um yeah test for the for the budding
0: relationship I love the way you say that and it's, it's such a good thing to think about that whole process of developing an agreement and agreeing on things up front with people to see, in part, can we actually work together? <laughs> you may yeah. never end up signing the agreement. You might yeah. decide part way through that it's not going to work or you might say, gee, we're such a good fit. I'm so glad that we have these things in place that we all agree on and we can move forward from yeah. a really strong position. So it's, it's kind of going to test the metal of the relationship in a way. Yeah absolutely great so that's seven must have legal documents which is the little fact sheet you've created for us so there's a service agreement confidentiality agreements shared office space license agreement referral agreement employment agreement subcontract agreement and joint venture agreement that's the kit and caboodle yeah
1: thanks so much
0: nadia is there any anything else that you think we need to know about legal agreements or any other advice you'd have before we wrap up today
1: I think just to realise that, you know, with a bit of research and a bit of time and by actually reading about the, you know, a read through the agreement, do a little bit of research. I mean, we we live in an age now where there is so much information at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, and I mean, I do agree that not all legal, um, <laughs> not all legal stuff is easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, there's still plenty of resources out there that are, that are plain English and written for the end user. I mean, that's what we specialise in because, you know, I'm not legally trained um, and, you know, I consider my job to be a bit of an interpreter. So if I don't understand it, it means that we're not doing our job well enough mm-hmm. and it's always our aim to make things plain English and understandable because we want to empower people. You know, we don't want we don't want businesses to go out there without protection as it were you know it's and and you don't have to you know you don't have to spend thousands of dollars in legal fees to get an agreement drawn up mm-hmm. and it
0: is doable you can do it and i guess what i take away from what you said today is that it's great risk management for your business to be clear on up upfront on what your agreement with another party is but also in the process of developing that agreement you learn to run your business in a more professional and effective way and you probably gain more business skills and a sense of confidence because you understand what you're getting yourself into if you do that research and reading.
1: Yes, absolutely. And confidence can never be underestimated. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> It'll help you sleep at night too, knowing that, you, you know, you've, you've dotted those I's and crossed those T's. That's
0: so true. <laughs> Nadia, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, yeah, pleasure. I'm going to pop a link in the chat box to the document that you've created and I thank you for doing that as a beautiful free resource for people who are in health and wellness coaching businesses and uh, considering what to next with their legal documents. So thank you. Awesome, thank you.